0: It, it came to a point where I think both of us were actually considering walking away from a foundation that we'd built that was amazing because we couldn't talk to each other. The gist of it is we had been having uh, some issues between us and we weren't seeing eye to eye, we weren't communicating well. You just start
1: going away from each other and and that's where we were.
0: We weren't listening. I know for me, I'd close, I'd close my ears. I couldn't hear her anymore. We were driving past and I pointed out the window and I said, Maybe, maybe that's what we need. And I was pointing at Cornerstone. We pulled in and walked through the doors and we never looked back.
1: So after the first service here, it solidified our reason of why we said we wanted
0: to come here. It opened the communication between us. Mm -hmm. Maybe that first Sunday all we could do was talk about what Pastor Lynn had to say to us that day, but It was more communication than we'd had in months.
1: It made us really think like what we were doing and Mm -hmm. where was our center. And so as a family, we really needed to get God back into our lives.
0: He fixed it, he fixed it, he fixed it with Cornerstone. Her sister, my my sister-in-law and her husband uh, were original members of Cornerstone. The bricks that are in the foundation of the building, those people got to put names of people that they wanted to see come to this church, be family in this church they put our names on a brick and it's in the foundation of this building so you open your eyes and realize that this is this is god's path and you just need to walk it
1: a year and two months ago um, i was going through a very painful divorce and um, i was about seven months pregnant at the time with everything i was going through um It was really hard to come to church, because at my other church, when I reached out for help, I didn't get it. And I'd been going to that church for 13 years. I remember meeting Judy, an usher here at Cornerstone, and she had asked me, do you want me to save two seats? And I told her, no, it's just me. And um, I had given her my information and she called me and it really just like struck me hard to a point I just was like started crying I couldn't believe somebody actually cared enough to pick up the phone and call just to see if I was okay it made me realize that God was still there that I wasn't alone all of a sudden it was just all these people were helping us I'm finally seeing the things you hear about in the Bible and in the songs, you know, God's hands and feet. I finally was seeing that. I can't even list the number of people from this church that have come into our lives, that have helped us move, have helped us fix things in my home. I can come here and say, this is my family. And it feels like it. It's not just me saying it. If I had to walk down that aisle that day, and <laughs> met Judy. I'm just sitting there thinking, where would I be now?
2: So we're calling them purple chair stories. And some of you already get this, some of you already understand the idea because you're sitting in a purple chair and you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is doing something just amazing in your life. He's transforming your marriage. He's taking old habits that used to enslave you and he's bringing freedom and strength and deliverance. And so you get it. You get the idea of a purple chair story, but part of what we wanted to say to each other goes beyond that. And it's simply to this, to realize There are people sitting next to you, behind you, in front of you, in purple chairs. And each of those chairs has a story of God doing something that only God can do. And of lives being changed in incredible, unspeakable ways. And even if you and I don't necessarily know every purple chair story, you and I sit in a room every Sunday where God is doing unthinkable, life-changing work. It's purple chair stories. One of my uh, favorites, which wasn't uh, on the video, is about a couple, uh, Jamie and Michelle. And uh, Jamie is actually a Mesa police officer. And some of you may have seen in the news recently, there was a Cub Scout troop spent the night in a backyard and the son of the people who were hosting it uh, was a special needs boy. He apparently woke up earlier uh, than the rest of the boys did out in the backyard tents. The dog had wandered off. The special needs boy crawled through the fence to go find his dog. Uh, several hours later, they found the dog swimming in the canal. Uh, his brother found the dog. Uh, Jamie was the police officer who found the little boy in the canal. But the interesting thing of Jamie and Michelle's story is that if you ratchet them back several years, they're headed for divorce. And I don't mean in a little way, I mean they are headed for divorce. The papers are drawn up, they're sitting on the counter, they're living separately, and that Friday they're getting together to sign paper. Jamie had started coming to Manchurch His wife had started coming to the services. And one day at Man Church, one of the men had the gumption to set him down and just say, Dude, well, well, before, before you give up on your marriage, is there any chance you'd ask your wife to try again? And he said, She'd never do it. On that same Sunday, Michelle came forward and met with one of our counselors. And told her story and that counselor said to her, I'm just going to pray with you that your husband has a change of heart and that God would restore your marriage. And she said to that counselor, it will never happen. And Jamie decided to call Michelle and say, is there any chance, is there any chance we would do this again? And she immediately knew that God was at work and said, we'll try again. Can I tell you that they sat through our series, ready, is this marriage worth saving, <laughs> that their marriage was healed, they have become fully committed followers of Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, today, you ready for this, Jamie and Michelle serve in our church on the usher team, they're going to probably be in here this morning ushering you, uh, they're actually, you ready for this one? Their marriage has moved so far, they're presently in training to be on our counseling team for other couples. And Jamie serves on our security team. Their children, their children, when they heard that dad was coming home, said, if dad is coming home, I'm moving out of the house. I refuse for that guy to be back here. And so when Michelle made the decision to give Jamie another chance, her own kids moved out. And then they watched God change lives. Eventually, their son, Corey, came back and said, I see God doing something here. Can I come back home? Matter of fact, do you want to hear something interesting? Corey today serves on our staff as an intern. And I'm just going to tell you guys, there are thousands of those stories. Those stories are happening in this room every single Sunday in every single purple chair. And then when you stop for a moment and say to yourselves, wait, 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 wait a minute. We do how many services here? How many times do those purple chairs fill up on a Sunday? We're on spring break weekend and we're doing overflow. And you can't deny that something remarkable is happening in this place and that God is at work in an amazing, and for most of us, all of, most of us that grew up in church and you're going, I have never been part of a church where God is working like this. How many of you were here uh, for experiencing God? How many were here when we did that series? Okay, three of us. That's great. So you guys will totally understand uh, this part of the conversation. We did a series uh I think a couple of years back, it's called Experiencing God, and it, it, it really is this idea that says, Hey, if you wanna if you want to experience God in a completely different way, if you want to see God be real in your life, if you want to have a sense of what God's will is in your life, and it boils it down to basically one salient idea, which is simply this look for where you see God working. In other words, take the scales off your eyes. Start to look at life through spiritual eyes, and the filter, the thing you're going to just absolutely hone in on is where is God at work around me? And then, the moment you see that, join Him. Just whatever that you go, go get involved immediately in whatever you see. God, don't don't hesitate, don't pause. Matter of fact, uh, experiencing God to say you don't need to pray. See, praying is, God, what do you want me to do? And experiencing God to come back and say, no, the minute God shows you what He's doing, he's already told you what he wants you to do. That is, when you see God working, that is your invitation to join him. Matter of fact, grab your Bibles real quick because there's a really amazing passage in Scripture. It's in the book of John that I think really unpacks this principle. It's John chapter 5, and if you're not real familiar with your Bibles today, if you go to the back and then work to the left, you're going to find this book of John. It's part of the Gospels, the stories of the life of Jesus Christ. It's John chapter 5, and this is Jesus in a moment absolutely revealing to you and I how to live the most crucial moments of our lives. And and here's what he says, John chapter 5. Verse 19, you ready? Jesus gave them this answer. I tell you the truth. The Son of God can do, what's the next word? Nothing. Think about this. Jesus says, look, look, look. I don't do anything except the way I'm about to describe to you. I do nothing. The Son of God can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does the son also does and here's what jesus says the voice says look, look look here's what i do i look to see where my heavenly father is working and when i see that look look it, i don't have to think about it i don't have to go you know can i financially afford this do i have time on my calendar jesus said look, look. when i see god i immediately join god that's what I do. That's how I know God's will for my life. That I don't even have to pray. I join him because seeing God working is the answer to my prayer. Maybe this helps. Think Thanksgiving dinner. You go over to your mom and dad's house. You take the kids with you. And you get there and uh, you walk in the front door... And you see that things aren't done yet. Mom is still uh, working on the food. Dad's over somewhere setting out chairs and moving tables. In that moment, what do the children do? They run off, right? They, they go find their cousins and they start messing around the backyard. They're looking for the Xbox. That's what children do. What do mature people do in that moment? They immediately join and help. See, the truth is, they don't even really need to be asked. They immediately go help mom finish the meal. They, they immediately go help dad move the tables and get them set up. Wouldn't it be in that moment the most rude thing you could possibly do is this, to walk in and go, hey, how you guys doing, walk over and turn on football on the TV. See, the moment you see what they're involved in, the moment you see them working, the, the most mature thing to do, the most unselfish thing to do in that moment would be to join. You realize that's exactly what Jesus is saying. That when you find a moment in your life, when you see God working, you don't even need to talk about this. You ought to be joining. You ought to, if you, look, some of us in this room, you're brand new baby Christians. And I get it if this doesn't make sense to you. But guess what you're going to do when you start getting mature? You're going to join God when you see Him working. And a matter of fact, I'm going to suggest to you that there's some baby Christians in this room and that your first decision of maturity may happen in the next couple of weeks as we begin to kind of unpack and unfold what God is doing in this place. And you, for the first time, instead of going off to play and do all the things you would have normally done, join God. Get involved in a big way in what God is doing. Here's the deal, guys. You don't have to look far in this place to see God doing amazing things. We've got purple chairs full of purple chair stories. And it is so obvious what God is doing in this place. The problem we have here is not seeing God at work. The problem you and I have here is we don't have enough chairs. We're sitting on a ready a spring break weekend using Overflow. And that brings a dilemma. That, that brings for you and me as a church a moment. I believe a watershed moment in which you and I are going to have to make a decision together as a church. And how you and I decide this moment is going to change who we are as a church. We will not be the same after we decide what we're going to decide together. You get that there are watershed moments in life. Do I marry that guy? Because the minute you marry that loser, the minute you marry him, the minute you marry her, you realize your life will never be the same. Your life will change because that decision is so, that is a watershed decision for your life. Do we move to Oregon? Watershed decision. Your life will not be the same based on that decision. Do we have another kid? your life will not be the same based on that decision. It's a watershed decision. And what I'm telling you guys is, is that right now as you and I sit in a room where God is exploding the place and where God is changing lives, what you and I do next is going to be a watershed decision. We will not be the same after we make this decision. We will change course and we will be forever different based on what we do or don't do next. Cause you and I have a choice and Here's the deal. You and I could, you and I could choose right now to sit. You, you and I in this moment could just go, look, look, it's pretty cool what God's doing around here. But good enough's good enough. I mean, it's good enough. I mean, we don't want to be greedy with God, right? So let's just, you know, let somebody else have some God in their church. We'll stick with what we've got. You and I could simply say, I already know how to find my chair. I already have figured out that if you get here 20 minutes early, you can actually sit in the auditorium. I've got it figured out. And I'm good with good enough. When I was a kid growing up in Tempe, there was a church. There was a church changing our town for God. I mean, it was crazy what God was doing at that church. You couldn't live in Tempe and not know what was happening at that church. And and I'm just going to tell you, in the midst of it, there was a lot of criticism. Boy, you can't, you know, you can't have that type of music in church and you can't bring those types of guests into church. I mean, there was a lot of criticism, but I'm just going to tell you that church was putting Tempe on its ear. Here's the problem. They came to a moment in which they had to decide what they were going to do next. And here's what they decided. Good enough is good enough. They didn't build the buildings they needed to build. They didn't change the services the way they needed to change the services. They weren't going to let those demon drums on stage... You drive by that church today, drive by on a Sunday, and there are buildings they don't even bother to unlock because there's no one there to go in them. Hey guys, 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 you realize we are that church in Chandler, Arizona. We are that church that right now, boy, if you live in Chandler, it's really hard to go to hell from Chandler, Arizona, because Cornerstone's here. We're, we're, We're just messing people's lives up, yeah. All over the place. I mean, it's fun. But the worst thing you and I could do in this moment is decide that we've seen enough God in this room, that good enough is good enough. And if you and I do that in this moment, I'm just tell, I can tell you the future. There will be people who drive on Alma School Road in years to come and say, remember when God used to show up at that church? Because good enough is never good enough when you're serving God. And what would happen, guys, guys, what would happen if there was a church that said, look, look, the buildings are full and, and God's doing crazy stuff, but we want to see God in a bigger way. We want to change our entire community. For What if our kids, what if our kids went to school and they thought they were attending Christian school because so many of their teachers attended Cornerstone and had found Jesus here? What if... What if you were driving down the road and the police officer who pulled you over attended Cornerstone and he saw your Cornerstone sticker when he pulled you over and he walked up to your car and he went dude now I don't know what he does next I'm just saying I'd rather have a Cornerstone cop pull me over What if your neighbors, you know which ones I'm talking about, the ones with the hellion kids and you're almost like, oh, please don't go play with Jamie today, please. Those neighbors. And what if there was a place for them to come on Sunday? And what if there was a seat, a purple chair waiting for them? Did you, did you hear that amazing story in one of our things? One of our families, when we built this auditorium, walked in and signed on the concrete a name, Of their brother who they said, I'm building purple chairs because my brother needs to come in here. And what if it was your neighbor and their kids who came here and figured out God? That changed your neighborhood, wouldn't it? If that family got it. What if there was a church who said, good enough isn't good enough and we want more. We want our shot to change an entire city for God. What if there was a church like that? But it would take more purple chairs. Because we got plenty of God stories. We just don't have enough purple chairs to hold them all. Guys, I'm just going to tell you. I, the answer from where we are right now is, is fairly easy. Uh, we're going to have to build some stuff. Because guys, think about this on Sunday morning. Think about what Sunday mornings like. We make you queue up in your cars in line to get on a church parking lot. Who ever heard of that? And then you park a half a mile away and we make you walk on sharp shards to get to Jesus. <laughs> Women, am I telling the truth? This is, this is, I mean, how, if you were thinking about how to make it hard to get to Jesus, let's have sharp things that people have to walk on to find Jesus. Let's do that. Then you get here and you walk into a hallway where there's zillions of very rude parents waiting to drop off their kids. You can't drop off your kids yet because the kids from the last service are still in the room because some crazy guy's going too long. When you finally, when those kids clear out and you can finally put your kids in, you run over to the lobby to stand in line, stand in line to go to church. And then you have to run down the aisles to find a seat. You want to hear the tough part about that? See, you you and I can navigate that. You and I, because you and I figured it out. You and I are pretty committed in being this place, so we just figured out: hey, you got to get to church about thirty minutes early, and you got to beat the crowds, and you know, and then you got to get up when the sermon's over and run out before the last song to get in your car and leave early. (laughs) We've got this thing figured out. Guess who doesn't have it figured out? Your neighbor, our friends people who are far from God. And so guess what they think? They think, hey, if I get to church three minutes early, I'm doing good. <laughs> hey, guys, where are the cheap seats in the auditorium? Well, where's the worst place you can sit in the auditorium? Right there. Right there. At that point, you get the profile. You can see the booger when it hangs. That's Those are the cheap seats. Okay? That's like the dog pound. Guess where our guests sit? Because they came three minutes early and had to stand in the lines and didn't know how to get into the guess Guess where our guests sit? The worst seat in the house. And if they're not lucky enough to get that one, then we stick them in overflow. Because we love them so much, right? I'm just telling you, we're making it really, really, really hard for people to figure out Jesus. This goes against everything that you and I are right now. Santan campus. Santan campus has been setting up chairs. They've been doing portable church for more than seven years. And if that's not bad enough, that you think about this. Think about the manpower on Santan campus that they're investing every week in setting up chairs because they don't have a building that could be used for other ministry. And on top of that, you ready? Then when Sunday's over, you fold up and hide the church for seven days till Sunday comes again. How cool would it be for the Santan campus if they were to save up a deposit, they would save up a down payment, and the next time a really affordable building comes available in Santan, we could go get it. How cool would that be for Santan? Guys, maturity around this place. We keep saying we're about maturity and we want people to grow up. You realize we've taken our best maturity room and turned it into overflow? How long are we going to do that? We're meeting guides. We're holding maturity classes intense. And it's March. Wait two months. And guys, I'm just telling you, it's pretty easy to figure out what needs to change. It, 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 the, the answer to this is pretty simple. Now doing it isn't going to be simple. Doing it's going to take sacrifice and a ton of work, but I'm just telling you the answer is obvious. You and I need more facility. We need, ready? We need more purple chairs to hold the purple chair stories that are still to be written. We need more purple chairs. So your leadership's gotten together, we've met with architects, we've, we've done all the preliminary stuff, and we think we've got a solution. We've got an answer that, we, that gets us out of the current uh, dilemma, and it involves building some buildings together. So let me explain to you kind of the scope of what we think uh, we need to tackle to get this done. First off, we've got to get a parking lot. Can I get an amen out of that? All right. A parking lot. And uh, we need a ton more car- parking spaces than we currently have. You and I next need to come, and we need to expand this building. Now, here's the really cool part. We built this building with no load-bearing walls. We can walk up tomorrow, take a hammer to those walls, and knock them out. It doesn't do anything to us structurally. We just got to put seats in uh, once we do that. So the plan is to put seats all around the back side of this building. There are going to be highly pitched uh, seats. Think movie theater. You know how you walk into a movie theater and you get to a place and you go, oh, if I go forward, I go down into the seats. But if you turn and then you start up, you go into the higher pitched seats. You know why movie theaters do that? Because when you sit in those highly pitched seats, you feel closer to the screen. It gives you great line of sight. So we're going to do the same thing because we want to have a large auditorium that doesn't feel that large. And people still feel at home in when they come. So you and I are going to build the biggest movie theater in Chandler. We've already got the screen. Okay? And we're going to do that. So this will expand. The plan is to expand the lobby. Because if we're going to have more people coming, we need more room in the lobby. uh, And that will happen all out here. And ladies, you ready? More bathrooms. That alone. That alone. Uh Right out there, what we call the B building right now, the children's building right now, we're going to repurpose it. And we're going to repurpose it to be for early childhood. Because think about this, if we blow out all these walls, early childhood has nowhere to go. So we're going to repurpose that building. We're actually going to add some rooms on. We're going to add a lobby on the front end of it. It's actually now you're going to be able to go just right across. What right now is the grass. It's going to be filled in. You'll go right into the lobby. So moms, your little ones will be pretty close. And that'll be the new uh, early childhood. But here's what you need to hear us say. We don't want our young ones in a building that feels like the leftover building. So part of our heart is to redo that building well. To make it feel new on the inside for our little ones. The student center building which is just a little further out. It's also all kind of our multi-purpose building. Right now, I don't know if you guys know this, in our student center building, on Monday night, our older singles meet in there, 200 or so singles. On Tuesday night, in that building, yeah, there's two singles in here going, yeah, just like, no. It's a great group and growing like crazy. On Tuesday night, we've got Kaboom, so that's our children's programming going in there. On Wednesday night, we've got our 5th and 6th grade in there. On Thursday night, we've got our college ministry, Camber, in there. And on Friday night, every single other ministry that wants to do anything else at any other time has to fight for Friday night. It's the only multi-purpose building we've got on site. For the first time, it's going to become a student center. And we're going to fix it up for our high school students. It's going to be a really, really cool place to hang out for the first time in our ministry. And then uh, we we need to build a fifth and sixth grade building, because remember we kicked all the fifth and sixth graders out of this building. So a fifth and sixth grade auditorium, and then if you look real closely, you'll see there's discipleship rooms all around the edges uh, for our fifth and sixth. We're running over two hundred plus fifth and sixth graders every Sunday morning, guys. How cool is it that you and I are grabbing lives before they make a bunch of mistakes? Some of us, some of us wish there'd been a really cool fifth and sixth grade building when we were coming through. Okay? The next building over is a children's building. So, grade school. Remember we displaced the grade school over there? The next building over is grade school. And uh, the grade school building is going to have an amazing lobby, okay? Matter of fact, we're saying the lobby, we want the lobby to be so incredible that children's jaws drop when they walk in, that, that it's just like the coolest room they've ever walked into in their lives. Now, let me tell you why we, we want to do this. We have done extensive research. This took us a while, and here's what we discovered. First graders second graders, third graders, and fourth graders do not pick their church based on theology. Now, this this was hard for me to swallow. I was like, what's wrong with them? But we just, hey, how do kids pick a church? Is it fun? Is it fun? So what we said is, here's what going to do. We're going to make that room when they walk, just the um, funnest thing in the world. And they're going to be like, this is the most amazing church in the history of the church. It's, it's just amazing. And then when they get to class, we're going to sneak a bunch of Jesus in. <laughs> when they're not looking. When kids leave church and they get to the car... What do mom and dad ask? How was it? Okay, how was it? What did you learn? That's what every parent asks their kids. How was it? What did you learn? Hey, guess how people pick a church? Guess how people with kids pick a church? Do my kids like it? See, I guarantee you when people are out looking for a church, the church gets over, they go, hey, sermon was pretty good, music was pretty stinky, but that's okay, we could do that. They get to the car, then they ask their kids, they go, hey, how was it? And if those kids say, "Uh," then those parents say, I guess we're still looking. If their kids say, it was the most amazing thing ever, can we go back next week? I guarantee you parents will go, you know what? The sermon was just all right. The music was okay. But man, our kids love it. We are back. We have found home. Because, let's just be honest, parents pick church based on how their kids experience it. How cool would it be to have our families driving away from Cornerstone on Sundays saying to their kids, how was it? And their kids' eyes pop big and they go, it was the coolest thing. And then they say, hey, what did you learn today? And now there's so much Bible coming out of those kids' mouths that now their parents' jaws drop. How cool would that be? Two people like that. Okay, so that's good. Next building over. Next building over is for the first time for you and I to have an adult building flat floor. We're going to finally be able to put... Uh, About a 1,000 people in that building around round tables. Do you realize right now we do not have a room that if women's ministry says, hey, we're all going to get together at one time, the only place they can meet is here. They can never meet around tables. They can never have a separate breakout. There's too many women. For the first time, we're going to have an adult maturity building. And we're going to have a building that's dedicated to nothing but growing us up around here. It's going to be flat floor. We can use it as a big kind of secondary auditorium. But the second thing we can do is all the walls are going to be on motors. We'll be able to close those walls. Then we'll have 10 adult classrooms on Sunday every single hour, each one of them larger than the largest classroom we have right now. And you and I are going to go get maturity done in our adult building. Uh, For all of you that have been waiting because I know it's a big deal to you, there is a coffee shop. Yes. Uh, There you go. With, yeah. There you go. Uh, The other part that I think is totally, totally cool, we want to build a living space outside. We want the area between the buildings to be a really, really, really cool place. How many of you have been to Tempe Town Center? Okay. We said to the architects, we want people to come on this campus and think that the architects who drew Tempe Town Center drew our buildings. So we're talking about splash pads for the kids. Be out there. Won't that be fun on Sunday? Uh, we're talking about outdoor living areas and furniture and places to hang out. We think it's going to become a destination. We think small groups will come during the week and do small groups because it'll be such a cool environment. We think, guys, the answer is fairly simple. Getting there won't be getting there is going to involve sacrifice. Getting there is going to involve you and I being willing to change our lifestyles for a period of time. See, here's the deal. Purple chairs are expensive. And if you and I decide that we're going to provide purple chairs for the people who aren't here yet, you and I are going to have to live different for a period of time in order to save up the down payment for those buildings. Which means simply this. Some of us in this room, you thought you were going uh, to San Diego this year for vacation. You're not going to San Diego. You're going to call your friend and you're going to borrow their cabin in Payson. And and then you're going to leverage the difference into what God is doing. Some of us in this room, you thought you were buying a new car this year. You're not. You're going to figure out how to make the old one run another 12 months. And you're going to leverage the difference into joining God. And seeing what God would do with the people who said, I want more of God. And I want more purple chair stories. Let me give you real quick. Uh, we've, we've been talking to your leaders about this. Uh, As we've done that, we've had several banquets. You've heard us saying to people, hey, we want you to give us your pledges. And I'm just going to say boldly to you, we asked your leaders to give with such with such over-the-top commitment that you following their example would be easy. And I'm just going to say it out loud in the room. I was going to say to you, we asked your leaders to take 5% of their annual income. Above what they're currently giving. And give it to the building project. And if your leaders did that, then you would know your leaders were serious. And we wanted you to know that the leadership of the church wasn't going to ask you to do something and that we weren't fully vested in. And we're waiting for those pledges to come back in. But as we did those banquets, here, here's some of the questions uh, that came up. Let me, I'll give them to you real quick because you, you may have some of the same ones. One of the questions was, what do you do about debt? What do you do about debt? And the answer is yes. Oh, you didn't get that. Okay. So, uh, yes. H- how many of you here have a mortgage? How many of you here are leasing and you wish you had a mortgage? Okay. So here's the deal. This is our mortgage. That's, that's what it is. It, it is our mortgage. And you'll be happy to know that the Bible does not say that debt is evil. It just doesn't. There is no prohibition. So all of you homeowners can go, thank you Jesus, I can still have my house. There is no prohibition against debt. The prohibition in scripture is against reckless debt. And you need to know you go to a church that does not believe in reckless debt. Matter of fact, we have charge cards. We pay them off every month so that we won't have interest. Okay? This isn't reckless, this is our mortgage and I know some would say well you know it'd be really nice if we could just pay everything for cash well we could I mean I'm just telling you we have plenty of money to pay cash for these buildings the only problem is it's still in your pockets (laughs) so in lieu of that um, you and I are probably going to have a a mortgage pay Think, think about this Think think, think of us like a young family. If you were a young family and then all this, you know, when you have that first little house together, husband and wife, you get that little apartment, you know, and the washer and dryer is stacked. And, and then all of a sudden comes baby and then other baby and you suddenly start having a discussion that says, hey, uh, we probably need a bigger house because now we're stacking babies. And what if one of the, what if one of the spouses, the husband or the wife in that moment says, you know what, I know it, I know, I know, I know, I know we need a bigger house, but here's what I was thinking, I don't want to go in debt. So what if we pay off our current house and then we begin to save so that we can pay cash for the new house? How long would that take? By the time you saved enough for the new house, Would you even need the new house anymore? And guys, I'm just going to tell you, if we stopped right now to save for the new house, we wouldn't even need the new house. Did you know that we have Sundays right now where we have families that go to our children's building and we turn them away because we say there's no room for your kid? You and I wait till we can pay cash for this thing. We won't need it. Okay? So I'm just going to say to you, yeah, we're going to go in debt. We're going to do that. But here, here, I'm just going to... If I can borrow money from heathens at 4.5% to make the kingdom better... (laughs) Man, I bring on the heathens. I will borrow at 4.5% all day long to make the kingdom bigger. Okay? Let our grandchildren pay it off. No, I'm teasing. All right, I'm teasing. All right, all right. Uh, Can we phase it? No. Let me tell you why we can't phase it. Let's say we started in this building. We knock it all out. We now put 1,100 chairs. Here's the problem. There's no place to put their kids. You and I would have to rope off the 1,100 seats because there's no place for those people's children in our children's building. Or what if you built the children's building and you go, hey, we got, you know, 23 classes, but we don't expand this building. We would have empty rooms sitting in the children's building because those children wouldn't be here because there's don't have any seats in this room. Phasing does not work, guys. I'm just telling you, we need those buildings yesterday. And we've got to get them up. We've got to get them up. Because people that come have children. And so we need rooms for their kids. We need rooms for them. Phasing doesn't work. And then the final one real quick. How long does this take? If you and I decide to do it today. 32 months. Which means, guys, think about this for a second. We're sitting here on spring break Sunday using overflow. We're going to be hanging out the windows like monkeys before we get this thing done. Because we're 32 months away if we start today. And we're going to grow for the next three years. And we're probably going to have service number five and service number six before we can even get in. Okay? All right. I got my hair cut yesterday. Anybody notice? I told her a little off the top. She got a little crazy. Uh, Here's the cool part. The gal who cuts my hair is a Christ follower. She was telling me about a trip where she went to India, went to Harvest India, which we, you and I support, and about being in the leper colony and trying to minister to an older lady there who's sitting there with no fingers and no toes And she said, you know, there's a communication barrier. I didn't know how to say anything. And so I just sat with her. I just sat next to her. And I realized, this is my sister in Christ. What an amazing story that on the other side of the world, there's a woman with leprosy who I've never met before, and yet I have something absolutely in common with her. And it's my love for my Savior. As she told me that story, I said, wait, 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 wait a minute. Take your life back 15 years. Would you have ever dreamed you'd be sitting in India next to a woman ministering to her heart? She said, Lynn, there's no way. My life was so full of darkness. I was was the person, I was the person that everybody at church would have looked at and said, "They, they will never figure out Jesus. That was me. I was all goth and tatted and pierced and dark. She said, never would I have thought. You realize she found Jesus at Cornerstone. You realize she found her husband at Cornerstone. Because every one of these chairs is a purple chair story. Look at the person on your right. That's a purple chair story. It's a life that right now God is transforming and changing. It's a marriage that's being rescued. It's a baby Christian becoming a mature Christian. Look on your left. It's a God story. It's a purple chair story. It's somebody who, because they're in the room today, is going to be forever different tomorrow. And that story is being told thousands of times in this room every Sunday. We have plenty of purple chair stories. You and I have got plenty of purple chair stories. We just don't have enough purple chairs to hold everything that God is doing in this place, to see what God would do with the church if we would simply let Him. So here's, here's what i want going to ask you to do. You, you got a prayer journal. I'm going to ask you, as we continue to have this conversation, for the next 21 days that you would devote yourself to prayer. And seeking God's face. And I'm going to tell you, we've made it as simple as possible. You could, you can do this journal in four or five minutes every day. But I'm going to ask you to, for the covenant with me, that for the next 21 days, every single day, you and I will do devotions together, that we will pray together about what God is doing here. And you ready? That we would pray, and then I'm going to ask you to obey. I'm going to ask you to simply do whatever it is that God asks you to do about the purple chairs pray and obey let's pray dear lord jesus we we are we are at a moment where we can't help but just be thrilled out of our minds at what you are doing in this place and and the power with which you're moving in our lives and god we just want to thank you for that and yet we also know we're coming to the end of a moment that we've filled up the purple chairs. That if you're going to do even more here, we've got to provide even more purple chairs. And God, we want to be that church. We want to be the church that just says, brick and mortar will never stand in the way of our God. We, we will do whatever we have to do. We'll sacrifice whatever sacrifice we've got to make. We'll adjust our lives however we have to adjust our lives. If it means seeing more of what God could do with a church like that. This is our promise. This is our covenant with you, God. We'll do our part. Please show up. In Jesus' precious name, amen.